Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Story Blender. I'm Stephen James, and this is where great storytellers share the secrets to great storytelling. everyone and welcome to the Story Blender. I'm Stephen James and this is where great storytellers share the secrets to great storytelling. Now today's podcast will be a little bit different. I have never been interviewed on my own podcast before, but today I've invited one of my friends, uh, Bethany Jett, who's a literary agent, who's an author um, and, and a marketing expert to sort of moderate a little conversation between myself and um, my uh, the the gentleman who just read my newest book called Broker of Lies, Kaleo uh, Griffith. And so let me introduce. Um, well, actually, let me allow Bethany to introduce me to you, all of our listeners, and then I'll take a moment and introduce Kaleo. Well, it's certainly an honor to be able to introduce someone I consider a friend and mentor. Um, Stephen James is a critically acclaimed author of 18 novels and numerous nonfiction books that have sold more than 1 million copies. His stories and articles have appeared in more than 80 different publications, including the New York Times. He is a, also a popular keynote speaker and professional storyteller with a master's degree in storytelling, who has appeared more than 2,000 times at events spanning the globe, presenting his stories and teaching the principles of storytelling to writers, speakers, teachers, and leaders. When he's not writing or speaking, Stephen may or may not watch too many science fiction movies while eating bottomless bowls of chips and salsa. Mm, thank you. <laughs> Very kind introduction. And so, um, and Cleo is also joining us. He was raised in the Hawaiian Islands and has been performing since the age of 15. Uh, he graduated cum laude from Franklin Pierce University with a bachelor's in theater, and he holds an MFA in acting from Rutgers University. And he's also a graduate of the uh, American Academy of Dramatic Arts. He's lived and trained classically in the United Kingdom. And uh, he also was recently nominated for his second Audi for uh, one of the books that he read uh, called Tools of Titans, written by Tim Ferriss. Griffith's work has encompassed many television and radio commercial campaigns and over 250 audiobooks. He won an Audi for Lincoln in the Bardo, the multicast, and has been honored from Library Journal and many others uh, with different uh, earphone awards for his for his uh, for his reading, his narrating. He's an actor who's been on television, and and I'm just really thrilled that he read Broker of Lies, and I was glad to um, to see uh, that he was willing to join us today. So, Kaleo, thanks for being here as well. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's really an honor to be with you both. Uh, I, I loved uh, working on your book. It really was uh, wonderful. Uh, so, thank you. Well, we're going to kind of talk story and storytelling and acting, and um, hopefully it'll be a little bit more of a conversation than a typical interview, but this way at least people can get a glimpse into my brain and also Kaleo's as far as uh, the new book that I have, and also just this will be a fun chance to uh, chat with some, well, with an old friend and a new friend as well. So Bethany, let me hand it over to you, and I'll let you kind of start the conversation. Okay, great. We're going to... Kind of go back and forth a little bit, but 
where we wanted to start was with some storytelling secrets, Stephen. Oh, um, what are some that that you've wanted to share, but maybe haven't shared yet um, on the podcast? That is a actually a good question because I've been doing this podcast for a number of years. And I guess I've got about 200 episodes or so like at this point under my belt, but I have never been asked that question before. So um, I would actually say one thing that I think is super important that is not taught much is the pivot. And a pivot is that moment in a story that's unexpected, but yet inevitable. So it's it's believable and logical, but it also is surprising. It's so that if you don't have a pivot, things will be either too predictable, where everyone's like, I exactly knew where that was going, or they'll be too outlandish where people would be like, oh, come on, that would never happen. And so in great stories, I think great storytellers naturally will have these moments, um, but it's really never taught like to screenwriters uh, as much to uh, novelists. And so I've been very interested in the pivot over the last couple of years. And uh, the other thing that I really feel like is, is super important is causality that I don't get a chance to talk about much. And that basically is that everything in a story is caused by the thing that precedes it. So everything is like causally related. And I know at first it's like, okay, well, that's kind of boring and stupid. And like, what does that even mean? But like, so you could write, she reached out with a trembling hand to lock the door. The killer was on the other side. Like you could write that. She reached out with a trembling hand to lock the door. The killer was on the other side, but you wouldn't write that because her reaching out to lock the door is not what causes the killer to be on the other side. So instead you would write, the killer was on the other side of the door. With a trembling hand, she reached out to lock it. Because that's moving from cause to effect. Instead of an event and then an explanation, you have an event that causes what follows it. And I think if people can start to understand that aspect of story that's contingent, that everything's causally related, and that you need those pivots and those two sort of narrative forces work together, I feel like you can really improve your writing uh, in your storytelling uh, just with those kind of two aspects. That's fascinating and such a simple thing to remember as you're as you're writing. I mean, that would work for fiction, nonfiction, everything, really. This is such a cool episode to be doing, having author and the narrator here at Kaleo so many questions about <laughs> narrating because it just brings the book to life in, in such great ways. So as a narrator, what are some things that draw you into the story? Well, you know, the narrator does, it's very different as a narrator versus a reader, right? Because as a narrator, you're doing a lot of different things. You have this voice of sort of the the storyteller, the the reader who's telling you what's happening. Either it's, you know, in first person, third, or whatever it is, you're that voice. So to find, to, to reach into that, first of all, because you've got these different things going on, you have to find out what the tone is. and and is there a, what's the point of view there with that storyteller? Because it's different if you're reading it, you don't know the point of view per se, unless it's really written in to that to that uh, that narration where that uh, the the exposition and the story of it is. There's it's it's really obvious that the the writing he's leaning towards a certain point of view on it, um, but sometimes it's not so obvious. So when you're talking about like the pivoting, uh, Stephen. You know, a, a really good story. You sort of the the narrator knows that the, the, that these pivot points in there, so they're not going to 
lean too much into the obvious, um, you know, points where you know what's going to happen. You, you know, you you keep it moment by moment uh, going through the through the story. Um, so as a as a as a narrator, you're looking for these moments um, like that, and. Uh, for the character development is one thing too. You know, the, the more character development there is, then the more fun it is for for the narrator to sort of sink their teeth into it, and um, and you know really get a sense of who these people are. That's that's one thing, and also situations, right? Where where does this explain what the characters are? But so if if you know the character has been through a, a certain history, then you get a sense of who these people are. So. You're playing these different roles, these characters, you're doing the reader and you're going back and forth. Sometimes you're doing a woman, if it's a right at me uh, or several or more or however many characters in a book. So for me, what I'm looking for to sort of draw myself in are, are you know, really clear clues on, on how I can do this. Very different than, than, a, than a reader, than a just reading the book. And the character development is key. If I can find these moments where this man on the paper, I get a sense of who he is. You see this uh, really tough, snarky character. Is he this, you know, um, is he, is he been hurt by his past in some, in some way? So I read the book and, and get a sense of these, these big clues. And obviously by the end of the book, there's a lot of, if it's a really well-written book, there's a lot of changes that take place and you can't give that away mm. at the beginning. <laughs> so you have to really understand what 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 is the writer doing here? What's his point? What's the tone? And you have to stay with it that in that moment at the beginning. And that's the pitfall for some narrators is if you know the ending, you can start playing the ending with that tone, and and even with the characters, right? Uh, so you really you cannot do that because it, it's just there's nowhere to go for the the listeners. He may not know at the end of the story that he's just, it wasn't that exciting. But, um, you know, I know as a narrator and, you know, good narrators out there will know that you can't, you just can't play that ending. And you have to go along as the writer has given it to you from the beginning and just play it as it's written and, and stay in those moments. And then the, the um, you know, the voice the first person, the third person, that story that goes along, you just adjust as the writer, the writing adjusts throughout it. So I look for those those moments uh, that brings me in. You know, it's like it's all encompassing. There's really no one thing that I latch onto that sort of brings me in. Once I commit to a project, I'm all hands on deck. Whether it's a really good book or it's an okay book, <laughs> I so I I just jump into it. Um, and, and I am fully invested. I hadn't thought about that being a challenge, but you're absolutely right. You, there is so much you could give away with your voice mm -hmm. at the beginning. Um, speaking of challenges, Steve, what was one of the challenges that you had, like with Broker of Lies? Oh yeah. Well, actually with, I would never, ever recommend that an author do this. So don't take this as advice at all, <laughs> but, um, but there are 17 point of views in Broker of Lies. And like, <laughs> I was wondering how Kaleo actually, how you actually <laughs> manage that. But I didn't intend that. I just would not ever recommend that. But 
when I was writing the story, it was just that there was a big cast of characters. And there were certain scenes that had to be uh, told from a different, you know, specific character's point of view. And, and so uh, when I got done with it, I was like, you know, it seems like there was a lot of point of views in that book. Maybe there's like six or seven. I counted on there's like, there's like seven. <laughs> I was like, holy cow, how did that happen? So if you're listening, don't, don't, don't do that. Uh, but with this story, it was the least number that I could use to tell the story. So that's what it ended up being. So it was a wow. challenge. I've never written a story like quite like that before. But what, what, what I want to ask Kaleo about yeah. trying to write or read 17 point of views within this one story. What was it like? Yeah. Like, how, what, what was that like? I mean, that seems like it would be unusually challenging. You know, I, it's, it was it was challenging, but I also was up for the challenge. I mean, it it was really well written. I find that it, there was a certain flow to it that I had. I really had no problem with it. I like the challenge because it just it teaches me to go. Okay, now I'm going in this direction. Now I'm going over here, and you know, I've certain I, I do romance on occasion, and that right is there's it's very formulaic, mm. and you don't necessarily have those those POVs and those transitions, you, yeah. you don't have a lot of that, that complexity to it. Um, and it can, you have to kind of wake yourself up sometimes and say, hey, stay in the game, stay in the game. But a book like yours, it forces me to really pay attention and to, you know, go, you know, go, go with it, go with these POV. It was really wonderful. I mean, you, that's what I want. That's what narrators want. They want this challenge to go and, and really explore and have fun. So I, I really enjoyed it. It was really wonderfully written. Um, and I and if you're listening out there, hey, this is a good book. Go <laughs> Thank you so much. Yay! <laughs> so I, I remember, I'll just say this real quick. So um, I was actually in Australia speaking last fall, and my um, my uh, editors were like, "We're trying to find the right narrator for your book or something." So can you listen to these? So. I was sitting with some friends and I'm like, all right, help me choose the narrator for my book or whatever. So we're like listening to these audio clips. And I was like, I think this guy would be good. You know, let's see if we can get him. And so uh, anyway, if you're curious about that was me sitting on the couch in Australia with a couple of friends. Oh, wow. And uh, just listening to like four or five different, you know, audio clips. And oh, it's great. Yeah, well, it, was, it was kind of fun. So this is this is super fun because like I need to read the book and I have to listen to the audio now both like I'm so excited to have the experience you know for both aspects of it so hopefully the readers out there will also <laughs> get the audio and the book when it comes out um I'm so fascinated by the process and Claire you were talking about the different POVs the 17 POVs are there like techniques or tricks or hacks that you have that kind of help keep characters straight, especially when you, when you have 17. <laughs> <laughs> it, it can, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I've had books where, you know, there's a hundred characters throughout the story. And, and I really, I really want to, I do my best to give each character um, its own voice, its own sound. It's a, its own, per, they're, per, they're people. This is who they are. They're, they're people. And so it is it is challenging. Um, and so one of the things that I do is I basically put it in a file. I do I go through and figure out who these people are. And because I'm trained as an actor, 
I, I really I see them as people, as individuals, and I and I they have weight. Each person has weight to me. Um, and you know, where are they? What do they sound like? Who are they? Where, you know, what are their all the things that we we develop as characters? That it's it's challenging those things because you're as when I'm doing the play, you have all this time to work on on sort of one character that you do in a play, right? Or even a, a TV show or a film. But this, there's not that much time, and you've got all these characters, and <laughs> I can't for the life of me just, you know. Uh, change my voice and and spew them out. I have to know who are these people, and um, so what I do is I I figure that them out uh, as best I can um, in the short amount of time, and then I I put them in little files. I put them in little voice files that I make, uh, and then I make a lot of notes. And the challenging parts is um, when you have them all in one scene. <laughs> I would never do that. I would never dream of doing that. Don't you dare do that, Steve. <laughs> when they all come together in one scene, and then the, there's some big thing going on, and you have to quickly, you have to be that narrator, and then go from that to all these other different characters. That can be challenging, uh, and so that takes some sort of uh, maybe some rehearsing and understanding of just really what's going on there, but. Yeah, I catalog it basically. I narrated. I think oh, I was just going to say real quick like, I wrote a nonfiction book called The Art of the Tale, which I narrated with a co author last year. It was hard. Like, I thought this would be so easy. Like, I'm like, I wrote this book for one thing, and it's a lot of personal stories in it uh, for another. And I was like, okay, how hard can this be? Because not only did I write this book, but I tell these stories like when I'm speaking at conferences and things like that. But I'd be doing the reading or whatever, and suddenly I would say something not quite right or fumble with the word or something. Like, crap, now, then we have to re-record it and stuff. I was like, that's, it was a hard deal. So my, actually, my hat goes off to you because it was harder than I thought it would be. And it was just like <laughs> telling my own stories. Right. right. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's fun. You get used to it, you know. I think it's cool. I was so I'm I'm still intrigued by the 17 um POV <laughs> elements. But Steve, what drew you to writing this book, this particular book, Broker of Lies? Well, actually, um I was coming off writing the Bowers files uh a few years ago, which it was an 11 book series. So it was a big series with um an FBI agent who tracks serial killers and arsonists and so on and and I kind of had wrapped that series up. And then I was like, well, what hasn't been done? FBI agents, CIA has have been done so much. And I was trying to think of like a unique character within the intelligence gathering or cyber terrorism area. And I thought, well, when people write to like the Department of Defense with a Freedom of Information Act request, like saying, I want to know more information about whatever it might be, um, there has to be someone who makes that decision who decides what can and cannot be uh, released to the public. And so I thought, what if there's one guy who has like almost a photographic memory, like an eidetic memory, and he is the guy who analyzes all of the top secret documents and decides, oh, this can get released, this cannot get released. And so literally he's been doing it for years and knows all of our secrets. Like he's the one guy who knows every secret that the Department of Defense has. 
I thought that's never been done. Like I've never seen that in television or a movie or a different novel. And so I thought that's a fascinating character to do this story with. And then I heard about something called the red team that, that uh, would go into uh, basically airports to try and, to try and um, sneak weapons uh, past like a TSA checkpoint. So their whole goal is to try and test the, you know, the security and they're like 96% effective. And so I was like, that is totally frightening. And also it's completely accurate. So I thought, well, what if I've never seen a red team member, you know, in a book? So I was like, those two kind of ideas, like characters I hadn't seen before and throwing them together. So Adira is kind of, uh, she's sort of a uh, Homeland operative and he's kind of, uh, you know, has been in the basement of the Pentagon for the last decade or 15 years. And they end up on the run, have to stop a terrorist attack using their skills and abilities. And so it's uh, it's interesting in the realm of like, for him, he's completely out of his element, being out in the field in that realm. But um, so it's a bit of a journey for him. He has to rise to the occasion and she's got skills, but also has been disavowed basically. So she has to, they have to work outside of the lawn. And um, of course there's an another country has found out about him and they're like, we want him because he knows all the U S secrets. So they're trying to come after him. There's a lot of things going on. And thus there are 17 point of views in, in the book, but, but uh, no, really it was this idea that, you know, I hadn't seen that before. And I thought, I thought it was super fascinating. What would it be like if you could remember almost everything? And for 15 years, you'd studied all of our secrets and yet you still have a secret of your own. So that was kind of what led me into, you know, the story at the beginning. I think that's interesting. A lot of storytelling aspects that you had to pull together to have all those characters be unique. I'm like what Kaleo was saying earlier, <laughs> not, you know, each one having their own voice and tone and um, super, super interesting. With, let me, let me yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, energy and will and all these other elements of who people are yeah um they come into play as you're as you're the more you you start working through the book and you start going along and even if the characters voices are similar in tone mm -hmm. or timbre then the person who they are in this inside you know their energy that can come through to the listener so you, you, you know, they, they ultimately, your goal is to not let them be confused as to who is speaking, right? <laughs> yeah. But but if they have very different energies, mm -hmm. uh, that can come across uh, yeah. very easily, even though they sound similar or have a, or have a similar you, you know uh, tone. Yeah, that's interesting. I like that. that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that particularly. When I think of characters, for me, I always think in terms of unmet desire. Like, what does this character want? And so sometimes when I teach writing, I always say, like, every character enters every scene hoping for something. If you don't know what that is, you don't know what your scene is about. And so, you know, I always say, like, this character is entering the scene. What are they hoping for by the end of the scene? And that that desire really leads me to, to the story. I don't know if you knew, but Cleo, I don't outline or plot anything out when I write. I'm just completely organic. And so like I've talked about that on the show before is like is like always trying to write myself into a corner so that I'm like, I have no idea how to get out of this and then come up with a way that has a pivot 
<laughs> but that's believable and that, that makes sense. It's not outlandish. And then um, to to follow where the story goes. So the unmet desire aspect, and I like what you said about like the energy kind mm-hmm. of underneath it. That's fascinating because I think I think the energy probably can come somewhat from their unmet desire. Like, what is it that they're there for? What do they want? What are they hoping for? And that can motivate or or drive their, you know, their movement pursuit through the story. Absolutely. Yeah, that's fascinating about the energy and the similar tones, but different energies. It brings a new way to think about character development um, with that. What are some other um, storytelling aspects that you've learned from from narrating? Because you've done acting in the plays and it's all storytelling of different kinds. what What have you learned from the narrating aspect of it? From from writers, like as a, as a narrator. Well, I, I have tremendous. What I've learned is mostly I have a tremendous amount of respect for for writers. That's the first thing that comes to mind. You know, when you when you do all this this work, uh, it is the really good books that I've done. Man, you know, they're so well written, and you go, how did they do that? How how that's just not in my, I have to, if I were to do that, I'd have to sit down and I don't know how long that would take me. If I could come up with that, it's not in my, it's not in my, you know, close to the vest. DNA, uh, talent. Yeah. Um, and so I first have a tremendous amount of respect for, for good writers uh, to be able to weave these stories, see it, I don't, however they do it. But by the end, some, the changes that have taken place, this, the, all, all of the, the twists and turns um, that have taken place with these stories, how they find the, the lines that go through with all of these characters and places and people and situations, to weave it all together like that in one coherent, in the through line, it is flabbergasting to me. So narrating, I've gotten an intimate look at ha- that to see it really happen because I've really not just listened to the story, but really examined who these people are and gone through it and and have had a lot of experience now listening to really good books mm-hmm. so uh and working with them so that's the first thing and then another thing that comes to mind is you know the okay books can sound great with a good narrator <laughs> there you go <laughs> <laughs> i love that i'm curious a little bit in your acting so you've done stage you've done screen you know um different you know television series you've appeared in and so on um, do you do you really think about that aspect of say when your character enters a scene? Are you thinking, here's his unmet desire, or here's what he hopes for, here's motivation or intention or whatever? Is that a big part of you? You know, when you encapsulate a character, or is there something else that's kind of you know foremost in your mind as you enter a scene as you're working on it? Stephen, abs- absolutely. I just don't think of it in terms of a label like that, huh? but. What you're saying, I absolutely do. It's it's really all emotion. You know, it's all people are there for reasons. You know, they have there's an important reason for them to be there. Yeah. What's why why are they what's happening? And and usually the scenes go from and you know that by by reading the story, you can figure that out. What what's their intention? Why are they there? So and I get wrapped up by the time I'm done. You know, it's sort of it's like I'm um you know, I, I envision, I can see easily every scene that I do um, practically, if it's decently well-written, I can see it in my eyes. I can, I can envision where I am. I can picture it. 
I know exactly what it looks like. It's colorful. Uh, and and these characters, why they color, where the characters are going, why they're there. So when they say words, they're not just saying words, they're saying it because they're trying to do something, trying to get somewhere yeah. for a reason, for an emotional reason, because yeah. that's what resonates with people who are listening. There's some emotional connection that the listener has to have to these characters, or else why listen? There, you know, it doesn't have to be this overly dramatic thing, but there has to be an importance to it that draws the listener in. And that comes from these characters uh, or character um, speaking to the listener or speaking to each other. Yeah, I feel like a lot of times when I'm working on something, I want people to connect with a character on that level of emotion. And so sometimes I'll ask myself, well, what are like some universal desires that we all have that can be a bridge for people to enter the story or enter, you know, be on the same page as this character. So, you know, maybe it's their quest for love or they want to find forgiveness or they want to understand justice or they want freedom. Um, what, you know, what do they want? And then is there a, a way for readers to connect with that, a bridge or something where they're like, yeah, no, I know what that likes. I feel like trapped sometimes too. And I want a way out and I, I get it. And I want to see how this character, you know, finds that. So I often think about the universal uh, kind of uh, desires that we have. And if I can give each character a way to do that, that's interesting for me. I was curious about, about villains. So I have to ask about villains. So when, when I'm creating characters, I like to create characters that are villains that are somehow a little bit, at least in their own minds, justified in what they're doing. So that when they're doing it, you know, at least readers are like, okay, well, I can see how they view it. And very often I like to give the character who's a villain, like a really good, like a good mission, like a, a good thing they're trying to accomplish, helping the earth or whatever it might be. Right. But of course they're going about it in the wrong way. Like they're not do doing it in the right way, but but so we can be like, well, they actually have a point there. Like justice is a good thing or whatever. And um, so how do you encapsulate villains in a way that maybe that that has that aspect of, you know, empathy toward them, maybe? Yeah. Um, it's a good question. I, I try not to judge them. First, that's the first thing oh, yeah. an actor needs to do is they can't judge the character you know, this person. And even though we know they're the bad guy or the bad girl or, wh or whatever, non-binary, whatever it is, <laughs> um, you know, we, that, that can be a trap to judge to all of a sudden, and then you start playing this person in a quote, bad way. Mm. And it's really about the actions. Mm. You know, you're playing the actions for an importance and what's behind that. I mean, you think about, uh, some of the worst characters in history, some of the uh, you know that you that you enjoy watching on film, some terrible figures, but you know they're they're played in such a way that by the end you you um you can kind of emp empathize with them in in a way. And but so I know what you're saying. I think that you just you just follow. You don't go overboard with with this idea that. Um, and not give it away. You know, some mm -hmm. some characters, some writers, they want you to know uh, off the bat that this is the bad guy, and and they'll even say or or the bad you know 
the sure. villain. And so they'll say it in the writing, and he he said with a uh, with a with a horror in his voice or whatever. Or something. Yeah. Oh, there you go. So okay, this this writer wants me to do that, so I'll do that. Um, but it can it can be to be very careful when you know the person is the bad person or is the villain uh, to not go into this sort of deviant mode um, but to find find that through line that you're talking about find what is why are they doing it because I guarantee you they don't think they're the villain yeah exactly they, they don't think you know they they have a reason what they're doing and it's just as important to them as you know the the other side yeah. so I tried to follow that that rule to to go along those lines with just following through with you know that that background will inform who they are and how ultimately this is just you're only hearing it right mm -hmm. hearing these people you're not seeing them so you can't judge them from that point of view so how they sound comes from that point of view of their background what they're who they are as individuals and how they're going after things and i try to just keep it that simple mm -hmm. so that uh ultimately if it's a book like yours uh there's surprise involved Hopefully, sure, yeah, yeah. I think that one thing you said I really resonated with me, and and that was that the, I don't know the exact words you said a moment ago, Cleo, but that that in their mind they don't think of themselves as the villain. Like, right. yeah, and and I think when I'm writing a character, I try to keep that in mind also. Like, no one in their own mind thinks what I'm about to do is an evil action in in the book. They always have a reason, some sort of justification, some rationalization in their mind for this crime, whatever that crime might be. And to them, in that moment, it's enough to tell themselves that. Um, and I find that when I'm reading a book or if I'm watching a show or something and, you know, the villain is like, now I'm about to partake in my evil plan or something. It's just like, <laughs> it's like a joke. It's like, what? You know, you don't think it's evil or you wouldn't do it like um and so this is the challenge for me okay so to find a way to have them justify what they're doing in a way that readers have that empathy for them but that i'm not justifying what they're doing wrong mm. right okay so yeah so i want them to justify it somehow and we say oh they kind of have a point but i know they're wrong and i'm not trying to ever justify evil or make it attractive or glamorize evil in any way so that to me is sometimes sort of a difficult um road to or kind of line to, to to track through the story i've got a question for you i'm not sure how many books have you have been narrated for you before this one but when you're writing your dialogue are you consciously thinking about how it's going to sound or is that part of your process, thinking about how it's going to sound as an audiobook, as well as written on the page? I I do a little bit. Um, I like I don't necessarily read my whole book aloud. I know some authors find that helpful. I don't necessarily do that, but but dialogue for me is very important, and it kind of comes first. Like it's really interesting. Well, I'll think of dialogue, and then I'll think, okay, I don't even know who's saying this. Like I don't <laughs> know where they are. Like I'm not even sure what's happening. It's just that I feel like that it um that it's an interesting bit of dialogue and then i try to ask myself where are they and does this make sense and can i use it and yes how does it sound it is very important for me to think that through although 
um, it probably would be good for me to think better in terms of like, when this is an audio book, well, this totally makes sense. <laughs> it's not in my mind as much as it probably could be. I um, I sometimes I'll come up with something that I think is interesting dialogue and I'll try to use it. Um, and so, but if it doesn't fit, it just doesn't fit. Like I thought that there was, I thought that this like little bit where a character, there's a man, a woman or something. And she says, now there are three times never to say, of course, to a woman. He's like, well, what are those? She goes, number one, if she says, do you think I'm pretty? You never say, of course. <laughs> say of course. It's like, okay, well, what's number two? And she's like, if, if um, she says, do you love me? You never say, of course. <laughs> You say, I love you so much. And I can't think of living without you. Okay. So he's like, well, what's the third? And she said, if she says, does this dress make me look fat? You never say, of course not. It's not the dress's fault. You never say that. That is what you did not say. And so like, I had this little bit of dialogue that I thought that's kind of fun. Like I want to use that in the book. Just didn't fit. Like I could not find a place in, um, broker of lies to make it fit so it's still in my file someday i will hopefully use i don't know it's just but sometimes uh, you know so i'll just think that that it sounds interesting and that the pause is important and stuff like that but um but yeah no it just i couldn't make it and i don't feel like it's it, we should take something that's just interesting or entertaining and just like slap it in just because we like it if it doesn't fit contextually so to me context is pretty important actually when i'm shaping a story for sure. I've got a follow-up question for you, Kaleo. Um, so in writing, we talk a lot about not having um, like dialogue tags, like it should come from the dialogue itself, what they're doing, if they're exclaiming or whispering or or shouting, these use the word said a lot. Do you find that it helps you in narrating if those dialogue tags are in there, like how they're going to be exclaiming this or, or not? Either way, I'm good with it either way. Yeah. Uh, I will take liberties sometimes, absolutely, uh, as a as a uh, as a narrator to perform it if I the way that I that I think it should be done if I, if I feel like this character because it's it's ultimately it's a reading but it's a performance. Mm -hmm. you know, it has to be. These are real people who are having a, you know a dialogue, and so that's going to come out in um, hopefully in a way that's spontaneous. And without thinking, so uh, that's the way good performances are, and and so I'll, I'll I'll do that as best I can without having it be uh, hopefully too much. At the beginning, when I first started doing this, I, I was over the top, you know, <laughs> be like yelling loud, getting. <laughs> I was like thinking myself I was on stage somewhere, but I'm not. I'm here in a microphone telling a story. Um, so I, I tried to to just keep it keep it uh, simple, but also be spontaneous to see where it's going to go. Uh, and the answer is, I don't know where this is going to go. I know what they're trying to do here in this scene. Let's see what happens. But it it, it, does, it can help. Certainly it can inform really what's happening in a scene if he whispered it or he yelled it or he whatever these moments are that talk about what's happening. It can tell me as the narrator, definitely, um, the tone, where I should be going with this. Okay, and, the, and, and there's a reason why, right? Because maybe this needs to be kept intimate so that the people over here don't know, or maybe there's, um, it's hard for her to say, 
Um, maybe it's embarrassing, whatever it is. Uh, this tells me as a, as a narrator uh, where, uh, where I need to be with it in, in, on an emotional level. That's interesting. Um, are there any secrets that you could give to me as an author, having not just read this book, but having read so many books over the years and, and you identify like this scene works or this doesn't work or anything like that, that would be good for me to know is like, as I write the next book and as I work on other books to say, you know, this is a trick that I've seen other writers do that's really helpful or that would be good for narrating or any advice for, for an author. I've never asked a narrator that before. Yeah, thank you for asking that. I I wish I could say that I had really good advice. I, I would say you're all, you're doing great, man. I mean, <laughs> uh, you really are. I I um I know this that when it flows for me, then I know that the writing is really good. When I'm having to drum up um, drama in in oh, the. Yeah. When I'm having to do more than I feel like, when I'm having to work at it, then I know that the writing um, could be it could be better. As far as you know, technique-wise, I don't know what to. I don't know what those things are to yeah. tell you, you know, what works and what doesn't. Um, but the great the great books uh, weave me down this road where the more I'm surprised and I go along and there are these moments where uh that are ah and ooh and, <laughs> and it's it's then they they keep me fascinated and interested. The ones that that keep me in it till the very end where I forgot where I was for the past week. Mm. I was like in this book and now oh yeah I'm, I'm here I am or at the end of the day I'm recording and then all of a sudden I realize oh yeah I'm in my studio recording those books are the ones that are really good and, and how how i can tell you who, who does that well and what the mechanics are behind that yeah. i don't know well i don't know either no i <laughs> i mean i know a little bit but but um i think that what you brought up is actually a super interesting thing and that is that um the the best writers i feel like make it look effortless like when we read their stuff it feels like, oh, this they just wrote. And even though they might have, you know, worked on that for months or even years, you read it, it feels effortless. It And it does transport you to this other place. And so it's almost like, for me, the best writers get out of their own way. They let the story rise to the surface and the characters have a life of their own so that when you're in that story, when you're reading it, or like what you said, when you're narrating it, you're in this other world and then suddenly you're Oh yeah, you know, I'm not in this place and stuff, but there was nothing in it to distract you or break the a dream or the illusion or whatever whatever term you want to use like to um to jar you back out of the story. And so I'm endlessly looking for anything in my story that would do that, that would jar people out, that would make them say I don't buy it or that doesn't make sense or or any of those things. So if I find those, I'll work tires tirelessly to try and remove them if I can, because right. I just want people, I want them to enter a story and be present and have nothing to distract them. And then suddenly they get to the end and they're like, they have that bittersweet feeling like, I'm glad I'm at the end, but I don't want it to end. That's, <laughs> if you can find that, man, it's, yeah, it's to me, that's, that's the goal. That's what I'm shooting for. That That's a 
great goal, and I, I think that you, I think that you hit it with this with this book. Thank you. Yay. Um, how long um, how long does it take you to record the book, like a, a novel of size of Broker Blies? That took um, about a week, week and a half. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, a decent amount of time. So you uh -huh. read the book first to get a feel for the characters, the flavor, tone, the pace, all of those things. Then um, do you rehearse like a, do you rehearse maybe like say, I'm going to rehearse chapter one and then record it. Or do you say, look, I'm going to, I want the vibrancy of this to be in the moment or how does, how does that work actually? Yeah, I'll read the whole book. And then if there's a scene, the beginning, I will go over uh, a few times, the very beginning. So that I know and have a very good solid start to it so that I can capture the listener well. Uh, and, you know, whatever sacrifice I have for spontaneity, I just try to invent that going as best I can and use my skills that I have as, a, as, a, as an actor to, to be spontaneous. Uh, but I feel it's important to do that for the beginning of the book and, and see where it goes from there. Um, if, if there are complicated, sometimes there are more complicated scenes, ones that I feel like they're the scenes that move quickly um, when there's a chase or there's drama and there's action, there's a real hard packed action scene that that can be challenging because you can you can speed up and move it along almost too fast because you're getting caught up in that in that okay here we go here we go here we go but you still have to find this fine line between telling it in a way that is exciting and keeping it moving but still is you can actually slow it down but tell it in a way that has more uh tenseness to it right um and so sometimes those I may have to go over a little bit and then re redo that or just go over it a couple times and then do that scene uh, when the, you have those fast, quick moving, like in, in life, it would go much faster than it does in the telling of the story, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah, no, it's fascinating. I I think it does. And um, I, uh, I just wanted to say, I appreciate both of you, uh, both of your time here today, I'm like I, I think our time is about up, and um, I've just really enjoyed the uh, just conversation. Just to have it's been fun having like a guest host on my podcast, and also being a guest was a little weird, but I liked it. So, so that was cool. And um, so, Bethany, first of all, just thanks to you for joining me again and uh, for helping to moderate our discussion to the, today. And um, also thanks to Kaleo. And um, do you have any, um, I don't know, do you have a website or or presence where people who might be listening say, I'd love for him to narrate my book or anything like that. Where would they go to contact you? Do you have anything you want to share with? with um, you can go to uh, my website, kaleogriffith.com, uh, um, K-A-L-E-O-G-R-I-F-F-I-T-H. Dot com. That's where I am. You can reach me from there and I'd uh, be happy to answer any questions anybody has about anything or if, if you need me for any reason, that's where I am. Fantastic. Oh, that's great. And Bethany, what's your online presence that you'd like to uh, let people know about? Uh, my website is bethanyjet.com and it's B-E-T-H-A-N-Y-J-E-T-T. -T. 
Excellent. Well, thanks to both of you. And also thanks to all of our listeners for more info about our guests and to check out other interviews. You can search for us wherever you listen to your podcasts or always click to thestoryblender.com for more information. Don't forget to like us and subscribe to receive our weekly podcast Friday evenings. And again, the book we were talking about is Broker of Lies, which is available April 11th. And um, you might say, man, I really liked Kaleo. I want to hear it instead of read Steve. That's totally fine too. We we love it any way that you can enjoy the story. So we appreciate that. Tell your stories well, and always remember. The art of the story. Is all in the blend. Take care, everyone. And we'll see you next time.